on your part. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the On Track and Field Podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. I've said this a hundred times. You've heard this. If you've listened to this podcast, you're going to hear me rave and rant about On Track and Field. That's because I'm a customer. Not only do they, yeah, they subscribe and, and they help us with this podcast and I work for them technically, with, I'm using air quotes right now, but I'm also a head coach and I use them for all my coaching needs because I want my athletes to have the best of the best. Go to ontrackandfield.com, check them out. And then when you are done checking them out and you have an assortment of things in your uh, checkout box, just put a discount code in as track talk, all one word, T-R-A-C-K-T-A-L-K, just one word, track talk. You're going to save 15% right there just from listening to this podcast, going out there and buying what you need. So on trackandfield.com, check them out. Okay. With me right now is Andreas Bame. He is currently the lead sprints and hurdle coach and VP of performance at Altus, which you need to check them out there. We'll talk about them a lot, but they are definitely on social media and they do a really good job, really good job at education. So Andreas has been with Altus since 2013. He's coached three Olympic games, eight world championships. He is even coached in 2012 and still as of right now, even though there's a lot of dudes trying to break it, the 110 world record holder, Eris Merritt. And at 1280, which Devin Allen really trying to get it, but we don't think he's going to get it because he's all in football shape. He got all puffy. And then, um, but here's the deal. This guy is the real deal. Him doing this podcast with me is an absolute dream. I'm so excited to have him. Thank you for joining me, coach. Yeah, thanks, coach JT. Pleasure to be here. Excited to talk some shop with you. Absolutely. In fact, that's the thing is that, I mean, yeah, you're known to be the hurdle guru, the hurdle coach, but you coach sprints too. And you've done quite well of coaching all these different things. And you can even just do a, just a deep dive on YouTube and watching the way that you break down uh, warm up before the meet, getting ready for performance, um, things that have to do with coming out of the block success, you know, successfully. And then, yeah, there's a lot of hurdle stuff too, but this is one question I just want to come out of the gate. And you and I talked real briefly before podcast with is, Okay. Coaches get excited about something they're learning all the time. This is something that's new to them, something they're excited about. I want to ask one of the greats, you, right now, what are you most exciting about right now in your coaching? What are you learning and what are you like experimenting with and implementing? What is that one thing that right now I catch you at this podcast in mid-June? What is that thing that you're learning? Yeah, well, I'll give you two things real quick. Um, so it's been a slightly different year for me in terms of coaching and that as a company, Altus relocated from Phoenix to Atlanta. And a lot of the athletes that I was coaching post-Olympics, they decided to retire. So I really came to Atlanta without a formal training group to coach, which was very different for me compared to the last almost like 20 years of my coaching career. So from a learning perspective, I've actually taken more of a... Um, observatory role, an assistant role this year, we've actually been able to step back and kind of look at training from a different lens of just being more of an assistant and an observer and also doing a lot of the kind of like sports science, uh, video analysis type things. So I've learned a lot about like technology, uh, things that are useful, uh, things that are not so useful. We've tried, you know, we're using the 1080, we're using GPS, uh, we're using different forms of video analysis. Uh, so it's been a really interesting uh, learning experience for me, uh, kind of upscaling myself on 
higher level and new level tech things that I previously probably didn't know how to use yet because I was so entrenched in doing what I'm doing. And now uh, I feel like I've got a much better grasp on, you know, certain technological aspects within our sport. So again, me being just able to take a step back from coaching, uh, not to worry, I'm excited to have a hopefully fully stacked group next year and jump full-time back into coaching. I'm coaching one uh, hurdler right now, uh, fastest Chinese hurdler, Xi Wen Jun, uh, still, but that's one thing. And then the second thing, we do have a group of Chinese athletes with us that just touched down a couple of weeks ago. They've been in and out of lockdown in China, so we're only now able to come over. And it really forces you as a coach to discard any superfluous information because of the language barrier. So it really forces you to just streamline everything that you're doing in terms of your explanations and concepts with them because you have to keep things simple in order for them to understand it. And I feel like that just makes you such a better coach, discarding what may not be absolutely necessary, even though it's a nice part of the explanation, and just going with the fundamental basics um, is just a wonderful refresher for me just to you know, remind myself that, hey, these are the things that matter and uh, something that you can then also apply to athletes who speak perfectly good English as well. That's really fascinating. In fact, you mentioned filming. Is there something that the general audience and coaches and if not athletes can utilize that you utilize? Like what technology are you using? Are you using Coach's Eye? Are you using, I mean, what is it? What's the app? What, what do you use for film analysis? That's something that we can steal from. Mm, yeah. So I'll, just for a little background, uh, I have a decent amount of background in video and track and field events, simply because in college, I spent time as a two years as a team manager at the University of Tennessee. So I really had a chance to video a lot of competition footage, pretty much daily training footage. So really got very good at, you know, a videoing and finding the angles, um, depending on the event that I'm, that people are really interested in looking at. Uh, and this only comes from screwing up multiple times and getting yelled at for, you know, (laughs) having an athlete come out of the frame. So in hindsight, that's actually been a very valuable skill to use, uh, and to learn. Uh, but programs we use, like I use uh, Dartfish, I use Kenovia, which is a completely free program, uh, but only available on PC. Uh, both are video analysis tools. I also use for MacBook, I use a program called Video Loop, which uh, allows you to do different uh, video comparisons as well as you know different timing for reps and whatnot. And we've really used video analysis to kind of work on contrasting information we're getting from say a 1080 or a GPS unit and also getting different splits and doing some sprint uh, velocity profiling. Fairly simple stuff that any coach can do. It's always a little hard to get a super exact 100% accurate split off of video, Um, even if you're using like 240 frames per second. But for coaching purposes, I contend that as long as you're consistent in the way that you get your splits, that's good enough to get a general understanding of the relative improvement of your athletes. So to us, that's the most valuable thing. We're not videoing and collecting data to like publish it in a research study. We're interested in the improvement of our athletes or the day-to-day shape and form that our athletes take. And from that, video analysis is perfect, right? It yeah. Also I, allows, oh, sorry, I was going to say it also allows us to kind of meld the idea of technique and improvement into one, right? So we can show athletes like you improved this in your technique, and this was then reflected in the improvement on your hurdle split or, you know, 
sprint split or what have you. So it allows us to kind of meld those two concepts and show them to athletes and make sure that they're, they're valid in their brains. Say, dear listener, I'm, yes, I'm the host of this podcast, but I'm writing down notes right now because I need to write down all these things. I'm going to have to go back and listen. This is great. I appreciate you sharing a lot of this with us. When you watch a guy like Devin Allen just ran 1284, you watch Grant Holloway who did 1281, I think a year ago. Are you able to just to pick apart their race while they run and go, ah, they could have just gotten a couple more, you know, tens of seconds here or there. And this is not a question that I prepared you for, but I'm just thinking, with a person that has done so much video analysis has been literally at the ground level coaching with athletes day in and day out for 20 plus years. What happens to a guy like that? Are you able to see these things or is this something that you just watch it and you think it's, an, you know, it's cool, but it's not until you're actually there witnessing it, watching it, videotaping it with dark fish or video loop or whatever you're able to break it down. Yeah. Well, I think there are a couple things in that question. So first off, um, I think it's human nature for every coach to see a performance, regardless of how good that performance was, and be like, man, if this person only did X, Y, and Z, they could be so much better. However, as a coach from the outside, we don't understand the context in which that athlete and coach is operating in, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the things that we potentially have identified, that coach and athlete clearly have already identified and are working on. or you know, again, we just don't understand what part of the, the process that athlete is in. So I think it's very unfair from the outside for a coach to go in and criticize or talk about a different athlete that we don't understand the context around, right? Now, I, I'm a fan of track and field. I marvel at the performances of, of all the athletes. I'm a fan. Uh, you know, obviously, Grant's been killing it. Devin's been killing it. Like, Trey Cunningham also been killing it. So I'm just looking forward to USA's, um, you know, to see this up and coming young generation of hurdlers go at it, um, you know, in the track meet. And then the second thing is if I'm video analyzing something, I think it's important for coaches to know we can stop things. We can frame by frame, like video analysis can be super unforgiving because you can just nitpick stuff to death. And that can be a great thing, but you also have to communicate that to athletes. Sometimes we're looking for skills that are simply, we're not looking for perfect. We're either looking for improvement or we're looking for good enough or great enough. We're not looking for perfect. And I think the tendency sometimes is to go in and video analyze everything to the micro level and nitpick it so much that you just steal all the athletes joint confidence out of reviewing anything. So I think it's important to, to have the athlete understand that, hey, we're going to look at this. But this is fairly unforgiving when we slow it down and frame by frame it. If we look at it in the totality and regular speed, you're actually doing pretty well. We're slowing this down an extra to try to maximize those tiny little fractions or percentages that we're trying to get after. But um, again, I think you have to look at the entirety of something and then you can go down and look at the minutia as well. So as long as you've gotten those two levels of zoom, zoom in and zoom out, I think you're good to go. Wow. That's a great answer. And your humility is, is frankly kind of gross. It's too much for me. So I just, <laughs> I say that kidding. Um, but let's go to the flip side about talking about your humility, which by the way, was a great answer because it's a good reminder that sitting around in the stands or at home watching these athletes compete, we don't know the context of what they're doing and how they're doing it and whatever happened the night before. But now when you get an athlete, 
and you're training with some of the world's greatest athletes and they're already good. Well, for the most part, I guess when they get to you, how are you getting them that much better? I mean, you're training these guys and gals for tens or hundreds of seconds to get down to where they need to go or where you hope they could do. How difficult is that? I mean, does it always click? Does it sometimes not click? Does it sometimes you're walking the athlete through what they need to accomplish or hoping what they need to accomplish? How difficult is it to get someone that is very, very good already even better? Yeah, man. Well, I wish it always clicked. That would be fantastic. But <laughs> if I said that, I would be lying. So, and I, I think pretty much any coach can, can emphasize, empathize with that, that sometimes you have athletes that come into a program and it clicks right away. Other times it's something that you have to continually kind of chip away at as you go along. And there's clearly no exact blueprint for this. Um, in our situation, we obviously get athletes who have come out of college meaning that they're already fairly experienced, they're well-traveled, they've gone through the gauntlet uh, of NCAA competition for the most part. We do get a couple foreign athletes, but for the most part. Um, and also, they've already been very well coached. They often come from programs where they've had a lot of success. So for us, there's no exact blueprint on how to get athletes better. It's more looking at the athlete from an individual standpoint and where they came from. So it's finding out things like, okay, what is, was your training program like? What things have you had success with? We tend to bias towards trying to identify athlete strengths. Why? Because generally the things that an athlete is really good at is often what lends to them to their success. So if we only train them to their weaknesses, we say like, we, these are your weaknesses and we only try to address those. Well, guess what? We've probably turned that athlete very average. We need to figure out what makes that athlete great to begin with and then try to maximize those abilities, capabilities, and skill sets. And then naturally also on the back end, trying to ad uh, address any debilitating weaknesses or other weaknesses that may not be debilitating, but still there, we try to kind of fill those in on the backside and try to make them less and less of a weakness. But we still try to figure out what makes that athlete great, what makes them tick. Um, you know, we see so many different body types and shapes and sizes. If you take a, you know, Usain Bolt versus Christian Coleman, completely different type of athletes, right? It would be malpractice to train them in the exact mm -hmm. same way for the entirety of their program, right? There's certainly things that overlap and commonalities, but so we look at the different things that we can potentially help an athlete with. Again, they may, they already come to us very fast and very well coached. So we look at things like, are there things we can improve in race execution or distribution? Are there, um, you know, opportunities to manipulate volumes, intensities, densities, uh, the variability of training programs, their efficiency of their maximal outputs. Sometimes it's not a matter of increasing those. It may also be a ma matter of decreasing some of them to keep the athlete fresh or healthy. So it's not always more, 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 but it's, it might be a, a, a situation where certain things we try to increase and others we try to decrease to create a form of balance and synergy for that athlete. Um, clearly, athlete health, are they coming in with any previous injury history or things that we need to address that are currently inhibiting their performance? And sometimes it's just as simple as being able to provide the athlete with a continued 
um, opportunity to consistently compete against high-level competition. Maybe they were late bloomer in college, and we just need to continue the road that they were down in college, but continue to expose them to being able to compete and adjust to the next level. Oftentimes, it's a matter of kind of talent level merging and melding with experience, and they may not have the experience yet to be able to express all their talent. I had an interesting conversation with David Oliver, who was definitely a late bloomer, and he spoke to that. He spoke to being a late bloomer. He even started track and field to his junior year and did hurdles on accident, and that led to uh, his career. But you're mentioning something that I think alludes to this. You're talking about the strength of the athlete as an individual. So how do you manage these egos? And I don't want to, I don't want to kind of put every Olympic athlete in a box, and I don't want to generalize, but let's be honest. Sometimes the good ones believe they're the best. And you know what? That, that mentality gets them onto the track and believe that even if they're in lane one, nine, or five, they're going to win. And that gives them a good shot. And I, I understand that. But you as a coach at a high level, the highest of levels, how do you manage all those egos? It's not talking about you know film analysis. We're talking about psychology of the athlete, especially as an individual, their personality. How have you in your years of coaching dealt with that, learned from that, and how do you manage that now? Yeah, and a lot of sprinters are very self-confident and brash, and that's a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah. You kind of yeah. want that to a certain extent, but for sure. I mean, I think it all stems from, obviously, everyone wants to do the best that they possibly can. So to me, managing egos, there are a couple of things in that role, particularly when you're talking about a training group. So we talk a lot about trying to give as best we can equal attention to every athlete. Now, there might be a slight hierarchy. If I'm working with Aries Merritt and I'm working with a new person, Aries needs something in particular, I'm probably going to give slight preference to the world record holder and <laughs> yeah, right. Olympic champion, right? Like that's just normal in pretty much any situation. If you're the, the, if you're the starting quarterback on an NFL team, you're probably going to get more access than, say, a practice squad player. Um, but in general, the goal is to try to be as equitable with attention and giving every athlete um, you know, feedback and what they need from you as a coach. So I think it kind of starts there. The second thing we also look at is we want competition in practice, but we don't want people looking over their shoulders. So from our standpoint, we try not to have too many athletes from the same country in the same event. Reason being, mm. if we have like, 16 Canadians in the same event, they're going to knock each other out at Canadian championships fighting for the same spots on a team Canada. We, um, by not having that many athletes from the same country, we can ensure that they're competing and actually helping each other in practice because the other athlete isn't an immediate threat to take their spot. So wow. again, kind of helping, you know, helping from that psychological standpoint, finding ways to enhance the training group without people looking over their shoulder or necessarily having to look at someone as a rival. You know, at some point in other meets, they're going to have to race each other. And at that point, as a coach, you try to do your best job of warming everyone up. And then, hey, may the best person on that day, you know, win. Um, from an ego standpoint, I'll say, you already brought up David Oliver. He is one of the best things I've ever heard him anyone say. He says like, hey, as a hurdler, and I, this applies to any track athlete, really, unless maybe you're Usain Bolt, He's like, you're probably going to lose more races than you win. So you better get used to that and be able to bounce back. And that in and of itself creates a certain type of hunger, but also a certain type of humility and understanding within the, the sport. And then the last thing I'd say really in terms of managing egos, it also depends on 
the athlete themselves and their personality and use a coach knowing yourself. Not everyone is the right coach for a certain type of athlete. I know I have a general idea, a good idea of what type of athletes I work best with. I'm a fairly friendly, laid back um, guy. There are a lot of, there are some athletes out there who are super talented, but you have to like drag their talent out, out of them every single day, like kicking and screaming. I know for a fact, I'm probably not the best coach for that type of athlete. If you're an athlete who likes to come into a training group, have a good time, enjoy a positive environment, um, you know, is highly self-motivated, then great. We're probably going to click, you know, but again, that comes down to, I'm not even going to put myself in a position to manage someone or coach someone that I know I'm not even a good fit with. That's just a recipe for disaster and not fair to either athlete or coach. I love how you're talking, even at that, that level, paying attention to culture. Because the people that are coaching, training, training together, that culture is everything. Because the culture is going to dictate what happens at training. Therefore, it's going to happen at the performance. Um, Altus yeah, is known for your education. And so you get to have direct contact for years with some coaches all throughout the country that are coaching different athletes in various different you know, event groups. What's one thing that you've noticed and that you kind of like are re-emphasizing over and over and over again with coaches and how they're coaching with their athletes is there's just one or two things you can just maybe just drop on this podcast of, I wish I saw coaches do this more of, and I'm not sure that's a fair question, but I love to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we also have a lot of coaches visit us. It's obviously been stymied a little bit by the pandemic. But I want to say that we learn as much from other coaches as they learn from us, because we'll have coaches visit us in structured programs or drop in for a day, and they'll ask us questions. And it's almost like having an internal audit, because they might ask a question like, why are you doing it this way as opposed to that way? And I'm like, you know what? That's a great question. I don't really know. I'm going to have to go <laughs> back and think about that. You know, So it's always, a, it's always nice to hear that there's a bit of give and take. But I'd say from a... you know perspective of coaching, the one thing I, 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 I've learned a lot about and I talk a lot about to other coaches about is I think it's important to not set limits on athletes. Sometimes as coaches, we see athletes and we think, oh, well, they're only capable of this, only capable of that. Like I try not to set limits on athletes and I encourage other coaches not to set a limit on athletes because you've seen so many different athletes um, progress at various stages. We talked about David Oliver was a late bloomer. You know, lots of other athletes were late bloomers. Um, so not setting a limit, but also at the same time, helping the athlete define some realistic expectations and steps along the way that they can work towards. Um, you know, if you have an athlete come in and they're coming out of college and let's just say they run, you know, 10-7 for the 100. And their goal that year is to break the world record. If they've been running around 10-7 for the last four years in college, that is probably not a realistic expectation. Now, I don't think you go in and set a limit to the athlete, but I think you have to reframe the idea of progress to the athlete and kind of outline some steps along the way. You might say like, hey, well, let's get to 10-5 first, and then we can reevaluate our goal, right? As opposed to trying to break the world record, because guess what? At the end of the day, that athlete will only be frustrated the entire time because they're not meeting their goal and they'll be mad at the coaches because the coaches aren't helping them meet their quote unquote goal, which was probably unrealistic to begin with. But I think finding a healthy dose of optimism with realistic expectations 
sets up a much more um, conducive work environment for athlete and coach. And sometimes though, you have to have some very hard and direct conversations with athletes about certain things. But again, it's that balance of not putting a limit on someone because then they, you know, the athlete wants you to believe in them as a coach and, but also helping them along the way and kind of framing what they, uh, what they should be expecting along the way, or what are some things that they need to do to work towards what they're trying to accomplish. And the second part is along with that, a lot of athletes don't really have an understanding or context of what it takes in the sport. Ask them what it takes to make a world final. They may not even know. So kind of providing concepts around the way, like what does it take to qualify for USAs? Oh, it takes this and the hundred. Oh, I've only run this. I'm like three, three tenths off of that. Okay. Maybe that should be the first step. Try to qualify for this. Then it's like, make a semifinal, make a final. Um, and guess what? If the athlete exceeds those expectations, fantastic. That's a feel good story all around for everyone, right? Again, you're not trying to just limit someone to that, but give them realistic things. And if you actually exceed those, I think from a psychological standpoint, that helps athlete and coach a lot. Wow. Ah, this has been a fantastic interview. In fact, I have just been writing down notes left and right. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this. I'm, I'm going to promise you right now, coach, I'm going to be sending this to my entire my entire group of training that my entire, all my kids, my community, this is something they need to hear over and over and over again. So I appreciate that. Where is there that we can find online more about you, more about Altus, especially with the education? Cause you are obviously a gifted instructor. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, we, it's part of our way of giving back to coaches. We all learn because we were mentored and, you know, a lot of what we've produced in terms of education is stuff that we wish we'd had as, young and developing coaches. So it's kind of our way to hopefully create good, useful content and also pay it forward in that way. So um, for us, you can find uh, us online at www.altis.world. So that's our website for uh, all things education, also all things training. Uh, again, we do have a training group here in Atlanta. So uh, anything you're interested in on that website from education, training, uh, internships, that's all on our website. And uh, social media, I, I'm, I'm a bit reluctantly active on social media. I'm getting more, I'm getting better at it. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my social media is Coach San Andreas, uh, both for Twitter and Instagram. So feel free to give me a follow there. Uh, the name came, was come up, uh, Wallace Spearman gave me that nickname, Coach San Andreas. So shout out to Wallace. Um, he just walked out onto the track one day and I think he was playing the, the San Andreas Grand Theft Auto video game. He's like, Andreas, what's up, man? He's like, Andreas, San Andreas. And ever since then, when he sees me, he's like, what's up, San Andreas? So, uh -huh. hey, figured if Wallace Spearman gives you a nickname, you should probably use it. And so there you go, Coach San Andreas. I love it. I love it. Um, well, let's just end with this. Um, Coach Andreas Bame. Like, this has been just an absolute pleasure talking to you. And um, just as a gift, the CEO of OnTrackAndField.com is going to send you a gift. Just kind of, it's also made from RelayBatons.com, which is also a sponsor. So stick oh, around awesome. and listen to uh, just from our CEO, Steve. He's going to give you a little bit more details about how to get in contact OnTrackAndField.com. Um, and uh, well, without further ado, let me just cue his voice and his massive triceps. Go ahead, Steve. 
Huge props to Coach Andres Bam for joining us and our host, JT Flex Ayers, on this week's On Track and Field podcast. The On Track and Field podcast is powered by RelayBatons.com, custom engraved water bottles and tumblers, and meet and competition legal relay batons. Check us out online at RelayBatons.com and OnTrackandField.com, your leading source for all things track and field and cross-country related. Whether you're an athlete, parent, or coach, On Track and Field has everything you need for practice and competition and save up to 15% when you enter the words track talk at checkout and make sure to follow us on our socials at on track the letter n field at on track and field on the gram and twitter 